Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Welcome along to this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, I'll meet the company offering recruitment as a service, saving businesses thousands of euro in fees. We'll hear how best to navigate the current jobs market and have tips for those building their CV from scratch using a WhatsApp chatbot. Later in the show, Jackie Fox will join me to talk about the ongoing impact of Coco's Law. Plus, we'll get an update on the National Broadband Plan rollout. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, last week I was broadcasting from Galway. I was in Portershed Bowling Green, which is a fantastic facility. I would highly recommend you check it out if you are in Galway. Uh, But while I was there, I got to meet some of the businesses that are working out of the facility at the moment. One of which is Schwartz and Vogel. This is a business that delivers recruitment as a service. They are very much shaking things up in the recruitment space. And I sat down with Richard Redette, who is the technical recruitment manager for Schwartz and Vogel. And he told me a little bit more about what they do. So Schwartz and Vogel are an international recruitment agency. Uh, we're based here in the Portershed, Galway. Um, so we're working within technology sector, finance, uh, engineering and sales. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are probably the only agency on the planet that uses a consultancy hourly rate as our, as our fee instead of your annual percentage, annual percentage of uh, salary. I mean, obviously, you know, when you're, when you're building a, a business from scratch, um, you're going to need volume. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but we're now getting to the stage where we're getting that volume. Like at the moment, we've got about 12 active clients um, who are recruiting. Um, so our largest customer is in Canada, um, and we've been working with them for about 18 months, uh, placed about 22 people, and saved them a quarter of a million dollars Oof. in fees. Like, that is phenomenal. Can I ask, and for people who do aren't, and I'm not overly familiar with this industry, right? And I, I, I But I do, I do understand that that is firstly a huge amount of money, um, but it's also a different way of doing things. So what's the thought process of shaking it up? Because the, the other model has worked for a long time and obviously brings in a lot of money as well. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, we have a number of conversations um, just before COVID. Uh, we were talking to a number of software development houses in Dublin, for instance. And the feeling in those companies was that these fees, it's not sustainable. These fees are just not sustainable. Mm. So now those percentage rates were coming down. Um, but, you know, those CEOs and CTOs are saying, I just can't afford to use recruitment agents. And I said, well, this is, this is a new model. Um, this, is, this is a different way of doing it. Um, but the cynic in me then goes, well, does that mean that you're dragging your heels? If it's an hourly rate, do you go, oh, no, I haven't found anyone for you yet now. It, it'll be another 12 hours now just for me to get the exact right person for you. <laughs> Listen, we're so busy, we haven't got time to drag our heels. Like, Okay. Um, but also it's about, you know, our number one objective is, is, is an amazing customer experience. Like check out the reviews on our website and you'll see exactly the feedback mm-hmm. that we're getting. So if, if we give somebody... For instance, our record at the moment is six hours. That's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's unreal. 
the hourly rate then uh, on top of that, that's about €1,100 for one placement. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, now, these are high-end, highly skilled tech people that we're recruiting. So, um, you know, that gives you an idea of the kind of benefit it, it brings. Um, and in terms of the time saving, because recruitment, particularly for, I suppose it depends on the role, it depends on the sector and all the rest, but you do, I think people matter more than ever. And businesses are taking the time to ensure they're finding the right people yeah. or getting recruiters to find the right people. Yeah. Um, so you're saving them time you're saving them money and obviously you're getting the right caliber you're taking the like you're, you're going out of your way to do all these steps to ensure that you're getting the best possible candidate um it, although six hours sounds very short is there much involved in the process like what does the the six hours entail to ensure that you're getting the right candidate for job a mm -hmm. so obviously there's an initial, an initial kickoff with the client mm -hmm. um that you know you go through um go through the job specs but more importantly, uh, is to understand the culture mm -hmm. and the type of person that they're looking for, because every single company culture is different. Um, because you're going to find different cultures within different industries, for instance. So understanding that culture and the fit uh, is is really really important. Once we have that information, as I mentioned, something else that we do that's unique is the video screening. Um, so we'll ask the client for five questions that they want to see the candidates answer. Um, and then we interview those candidates, record those five questions and submit that video with the resume to the client. So we're basically making that recruitment process way more efficient. Um, they don't have to spend time arranging everybody, their hiring team, for that pre-screen. We do that for them. Mm -hmm. okay. So then they can see that, that cultural fit. They can see the tech skills, obviously, on the, on the resume. But then they can see the personality. Which um, is so important. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Now, there are obviously people out there and platforms out there that do the, the, the automated recording of questions. Right. Yeah, no, I, I know people who've gone through that. Yeah. And they have said, it's actually very intimidating, very cold, very clinical. It's like being in a photo booth. You know, when you go to one of those passport photo machines and yeah. you don't know if it's taken the picture yet and you're like, <laughs> and you end up making a fool of yourself. Absolutely. And it's not as warm. And I said to you before we started recording, like, it's great in my job that I'm back and I'm talking to you face to face yeah. because you, you you have, you're seeing more of my personality now mm. than you would if we were doing a telephone call, for example. Yeah. And so having that human interaction, it does give people an opportunity to bring out a personality or to crack a joke or Absolutely. to show that maybe they're a bit of a nervous person, but they're yeah. very smart and they have good ideas. Yeah. And you get to capture that in that pre-screen. Absolutely. And but, I mean, you're right, because when, when that red light goes on, mm. it, it does funny things to people. Yep. You know, like when we turned these microphones on, it did something funny to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's the same kind of thing. You can you can make them feel comfortable and then drag them through if they need a bit of support or, you know, d don't worry, relax. It's it's just a few questions, you know. Mm. It is a very different experience to to the automated, pre-recorded, no interaction with another human being, basically. Um, so apart from the business model, apart from the hourly rate and not a percentage of annual salary, the feedback from customers is these video screens are invaluable mm. because we're saving time, we can watch it anywhere, and it gives us an insight into the person. You know, okay, we've got the resume, but we've also got a snippet of the person too. Yeah. So really important for the customers, yeah. Is now an exciting time in your industry because I think post-pandemic a lot of people are uh, scratching their heads going am I doing what I want to do or am I working for a company that I like working for or I ha am I happy doing what I'm doing 
Um, is there a lot of talent on the move at the moment? It's it's definitely changed in the last kind of three or four months. Mm. So it was it was very sticky. Uh, you know, about six to twelve months ago, I think people were still in a little bit of. I don't really want to move. Post, the fear factor, yeah. yeah. Post pandemic, mm-hmm. um, people are a little bit afraid. Maybe not. They didn't really understand what's happening. Um, you know, from from a corporate point of view, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it the right thing to do to move now? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think now people are starting to move. You're seeing a lot more, um, a lot more kind of resumes coming in. People making inquiries about moving around. Um, but you're starting to see a lot of blockchain, a lot of crypto development resumes. Whereas 12 months ago, you wouldn't have seen any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's really interesting, um, I think. Yeah. There's definitely a sense of uh, it does all come down to timing. And I do think these things are cyclical. Like mm. you do see elements of not just the tech industry, but every industry, like they go through waves and all the rest. Yeah. Um, I've never gone through a recruitment process, right? Mm. And I'm always terrified at the notion, and I hope my boss starts listening to this, but I'm always terrified at the notion of doing it because I do think, particularly those, uh, the, the pre-screen things that we were talking about a minute ago mm. when you're just talking to a screen and there's no human there, mm. I think that can be intimidating. I think the TikTok tips on how to write a CV and catch a, a recruiter's eye and all that kind of jazz mm. is intimidating. And I think showcasing your LinkedIn profile so that you sound the best human being that's ever existed is nauseating. So how do you go about ensuring that you stand out and that you don't make an idiot of yourself in a video call or whatever the first step of recruitment process is? Like, is there a way to nail it from your kitchen counter or your sofa? Absolutely. Um, you know, stick with the skills that you've got. Mm-hmm. Don't be don't be trying to, uh, I suppose, um, take off, bite off more than you can chew. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make sure the resume is very clear. Um, but does that just like so this is and, and I, I know we're going to go down a rabbit hole right but you see people and I know friends who, who work in HR and they'll tell you sometimes it's like a what I did on my summer holiday essay comes in and I did ballet when I was six years old and I won a gold medal in horse riding when I was seven years old and I did <laughs> Irish in summer camp and you, like how detailed do you go is it about I'm applying to be your assistant here's my experience when it comes to that type of job and I've got more stuff if you care but yes, if don't just exactly. leave it. Exactly, keep it relevant. Okay. Right? You're applying for a, a job, let's keep it relevant mm. to the skills that you need for that job. Obviously uh, put in a little bit, uh, you know, about your achievements maybe from an educational point of view uh, and maybe some personal interests or achievements, you know, outside of uh, academia or outside of your kind of professional career. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep it relevant. Yeah. Um, especially in tech, um what you'll see is you'll see a nice paragraph from the majority of people. You'll see a nice paragraph with all the technology that they've used and the skills that they have. The good ones will basically rate those skills from like one to five mm-hmm. in a very nice kind of graphic okay. at, at the top. Okay. So uh, Java, JavaScript, TypeScript, CSS, and then they'll have the level. So, you know, beginner, expert. Okay. So that kind of nice graphic box at the top gold. That tells you all you need to know basically, basically straight away. Yeah. Because the job specs that we have and get from our customers, the first thing is I need JavaScript, TypeScript, mm. all the technologies, and, you know, all the platforms, all the programming languages. 
So what we do then is we have to search the resumes for those keywords. Mm -hmm. So those are the keywords. So if you put them at the top, give me a nice graphic. I'm like, okay, this is this is good. Mm. You, know? you mentioned as well one of the things that you guys do is um, try and find that cultural fit. Mm. So teamwork based dynamic work, and I always kind of use them as a reference point because the the two co-founders they are great and the second you meet them they are dynamic and you can tell that you can instantly understand why they're successful just by meeting those two but they have this kind of unofficial slogan uh, for the company which is don't be a dick that's like their motto <laughs> so when they're hiring if you don't meet that criteria you're not going to work for their company like a lot of people who work in tech and again I'm, this is a big generalisation but sometimes they can be shy or they could be a bit introverted or they could be not doing cartwheels down the corridor mm. So how do you ensure that you don't come across dickish in a recruitment process and that you would be a good uh, fit for a company culture if mm. you're not great at that initial, you know, the first impression thing? Yeah. Um, I, you'll always know mm -hmm. straight away. Okay. You know, that face-to-face -face is so important. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, you'll fil filter them out that way. But talking about kind of the, sh the shy and kind of introverted... Um, and a lot of seriously skilled developers are that way. That's just the nature of it sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and in, in those, that's where that face-to-face V-screen, I'll help them, I'll coach them, I'll make them feel comfortable so we can get down to the nitty-gritty of the skills. Mm. Um, and then those skills will shine. Um, and I've had numerous, numerous candidates like that who not maybe not so hot on the kind of social interaction, business kind of side, but amazing. Uh, you know, from a technical point of view. And then our customers then will see that on the V screen because I'll draw it out of them, mm. um, make them feel comfortable, have a few laughs, you know, and, and really see the person underneath the nervousness and the timidness, shyness, you know. Mm. And then you see this amazing skill underneath it. It's pretty, it's powerful. Mm. You have um, clients all, all over the shop and I'm, mm. I'm interested to know, is there, has there been a shift at all in terms of, the priorities for clients, uh, so for your clients, for the companies that you're recruiting for, mm -hmm. is it always going to be technical skills, number one, or does soft skills feature or, you know, uh, maybe the artistic brain could be beneficial to a tech company? Mm -hmm. Has the definition of what they're looking for changed over the last little while? And it, it changes with each company. Mm -hmm. So... First of all, obviously, you know, in tech, it's the skills. Yeah. So we'll do a, that initial V screen that we provide. Then some customers will provide online assessments, which are coding challenges. Okay. So that takes care of your technical. But then there is a lot of time spent on a, on a cultural fit call. So they'll talk about values, um, you know, objectives from a business point of view. Um, and how they align with the kind of ethos of the company, you know, in terms of values and, and the personality that, mm. they, that they want, basically. Um, you know, personal development, somebody who wants to come in and grow and learn, um, really, really important. Um, but also have the crack yeah. as well. It's, it's so important, mm. um, you know, to want to get involved with, with people, social events, um, that kind of thing. So the technical skills is obviously one part of it um, mm. but there is a lot of focus now on, on culture because that comes into retention yeah so as I mentioned you, you know that customer that we saved quarter of a million dollars for on, on fees um, that though we put 22 people in that company and none of them have left yeah and the feedback from those candidates that have gone in 
are that it's the best place they've ever worked. Mm. So, and that company's been around for 25 years. They've built an incredible culture. Um, so, and that's all around the personality mm -hmm. and the type of person that they want to get in there. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It is interesting to, to kind of track that journey as well. And because mm. retention is something that sometimes gets overlooked. Oh. It's like, oh, we got someone in like, a job. It's great. Yeah. But then if they're out the door in six months because the boss is a bully or the company doesn't quite appear to live up to the standard that yeah. their LinkedIn page or the whatever page makes it sound like the retention is going to be the game changer, particularly as we go through this turbulent time within tech as well. Like oh, yeah. it does matter. Yeah. And what you'll see now is candidates technical really good technical candidates they are choosing where they want to go yeah and they're looking at the reviews on glassdoor and they're going okay is this a place that i want to work mm -hmm. they're checking out the senior leadership team they're checking out their social channels see how their messaging is on on social media is this a place that i want to work yeah you know what's the benefits package like mm -hmm. they are calling the shots i tell you that now that is interesting yeah. For, from your own company's point of view how many people are in this operation and, you know, delivering those incredible results in terms of the time saved and the money uh, and all that kind of jazz? We sound big, right? Yeah. We're not. Go on, I'm dying to know. <laughs> so we've got two recruiters. Uh, yeah, uh, We've got two non-exec directs um, and we've got three investors. So we've been around since 2017. Um, so the company was registered 2017. Uh, COVID nearly killed us. Okay. Absolutely. We mm -hmm. were just kind of in the infancy. Uh, we signed uh, a deal for 40 placements with a software house in Dublin one week before lockdown. Oof. And that never came back. Yeah. Um, so it did. We nearly, we nearly had to close the doors. Um, but now we're, we're, we're motoring. Yeah, because as I said earlier on, there's definitely a sense that people are a bit more confident. Not only confident, but they feel empowered to go, life is too short. I don't want to work for a company that I don't like or I don't want to do a job I'm not into anymore. So there, I do get the sense of people are scoping out what, what's out there. Absolutely. Um, do you know, I get a lot of people asking uh, to go and work for our biggest client. Have, mm. you, got, have you got any jobs in that company? Mm. That's where I want to go. Yeah. Um, and and that's, that's what's happening, especially in tech. Um, mm. You know, as I mentioned, the, the senior developers, yeah, they are choosing where they want to go and they're defining their salaries, for instance. Okay. So senior level developers, uh, you're 100K plus, no problem. Mm. Easy. Plus benefits. You know. It's incredible. Yeah. I, I can't get over how small your team is for delivering the results that you've delivered. Are you planning to expand or what? what's the, the thought process now? Yep. So we're looking to hire in Q4. Um, specifically in finance. Okay. Um, and then uh, Q1 next year, we'll be looking at another technology um, specialist for tech recruitment because it's 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 getting um, pretty popular. Yeah, there you go. There's some brilliant tips from Richard Redette, the technical recruitment manager for Schwartz and Vogel. I would love to hear from you. Have you found the uh, recruitment space a bit tricky at the moment? Have you been approached by any of those LinkedIn recruiters that offer you the sun, moon, earth and stars and then fail to deliver? Uh, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com. Coming up next here on News Talk, we'll hear from Jackie Fox about the ongoing impact of Coco's Law. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware.
Yeah, this is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, on Tuesday's Lunchtime Live, Andrea Gilligan outlined her experience of Ireland's EV charging network. And it's fair to say it didn't quite go according to plan. When I spent my day yesterday chasing an EV charging point because I've had an electric car over the past um, well I've had two of them actually in, in, in recent weeks but this weekend I went from Dublin to Donegal and I deliberately actually went via Sligo it's a much longer route but I did that because it's a better road and more importantly I knew there was a high powered charger located at the petrol station in Balnalac so that meant by the time I got to Donegal uh, yesterday when I was doing my return leg back to Dublin I was on about 42% in the car which was going to give me about 188 kilometres obviously wasn't going to be enough to travel back to, to Dublin and when I was in Balnalac the other day somebody had mentioned to me that there was actually two high power chargers at a petrol station in South Donegal located very very close to my home house which I, I was only delighted to hear about so I nipped up the road yesterday afternoon and when I got there I tried to connect it up but could see the the charging station wasn't working and there was another guy trying to to use the other high power charger and similarly his wasn't working and he'd gone into the shop and he found out that they were both offline for upgrade works. Now why on earth you take the two stations where four cars can charge you take the two of them offline at the one time to allow for upgrade works is just completely beyond me like surely you'd leave one of them active for people to charge the cars the entire day was consumed looking for an electric charger the public system beyond Dublin it has a long way to go I've been to Waterford I've been to Sligo I've been to Donegal all in the electric car in the past two weeks and I used to have range anxiety when I did this four years ago but it's actually charging point anxiety is what I have at the minute So that's Andrea's experience of the electric vehicle charging network outside of Dublin I would love to hear from you Does that echo your own experience? Are there pockets of the country that are better or worse than others? Uh, You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com Come. Now, Gardaí have received 37 reports of suspected sharing of intimate images over a six-month period. Intimate image abuse was criminalised under the Harassment, Harmful Communications and Related Offences Act 2020. This piece of legislation is also known as COCA's Law and it came into effect in February of last year. It's named after 21-year-old Nicole Fox, who very sadly took her own life in 2018 after a sustained period of harassment by bullies. Nicole's mother, Jackie, campaigned tirelessly for the introduction of this legislation. I caught up with her recently and she told me about the work that she continues to do in this space, but started out by talking about what happened to Nicole. I lost my daughter in 2018. I I, I, I sometimes use the word bullying, but it was much so much more than bullying. It was um, torment and torture. Um, in the end, she just couldn't find um, a way to stay. Um, I was devastated and shocked um, at the fact when the, the, the guards came to my house and told me that, um, you know, that there was no crime committed um, through the online bullying, that it wasn't um, a criminal offence. There was no legislation in Ireland to, to punish someone. I campaigned. I had marches outside Leinster House. I had um, protests. I campaigned. I had meetings upon meetings to try and bring in a law to, you know, to help victims and families with, with, with this uh, problem. After after all the campaigning that I did, eventually um, I got the law through called Coco's Law. Now it was called Coco's Law because my, my uh, Nicole, that was her little pet name and um, 
you know, everyone that that knew her and loved her would call her Coco. So um, Coco's law was um, brought in, which meant that now it is a criminal offence to annihilate and torment someone to, to the point where they're distressed or self-harming or, you know, even worse, um, considering taking their own life or had taken their own life where now it, it is a criminal offence. There is a legislation there to, to prevent um, people um, going through this on their own. There is, there is a law there to help, help people now. It's getting bigger and bigger. Cobo's law is only in since um, the, the 9th of February 21. It, you know, it takes time for it to, to build up. And a lot of people do know about it because of the campaign and that I did and the social media and, and, and the media. But a lot of people still don't know about it. Um, just because I brought Coco's Law in doesn't mean I stop there. You know, I, I do. Um, I go, I campaign or go around all the the country and um, in schools colleges youth club youth reach football clubs and um, myself and gary and um, do do talks everywhere we can get an opportunity not not only for the students in 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 the schools and colleges and and football clubs but also for the adults because a, a huge part um, of bullying is in the workplace whether whether it's in the, the, the in hospitals and the army in you know the guards anywhere it doesn't matter where you are a huge part of bullying is in the workplace so myself and Gary Cunningham and um, we were doing talks in workplaces as well because um this this happens to so many people and it's not only the the online harassment the bullying part the the and the torment the torture also it's the intimate images um have been um put it implemented into Coco's law as well which the, the impact on people is incredible. You know, it's soul destroying when someone does that with shares intimate images without people's consent. Um, so that that that's been that's been huge. And also um there was 28 people up for prosecution under Coco's law. And right at this very second, one person has been prosecuted so far um, and is sitting in prison as we speak now under Coco's law so um you know it's as I said it's it's early days it's starting to kick in but you know as, as like many other laws um you know can take time for prosecution but it's it, it is it's getting getting the word out there as I said I I get it out as much as I can and um do do all the school talks and um colleges and you each so it, it, it's educate educating is key but educating younger people coming up is so important but as I said, it does happen in the workplace as well, um, where people can be so nasty, where, you know, you can just tear strips, bring people so down so much where, you know, like, like, Nicole just can't see past another day. You know, it's, it can be vicious. When I do the talk, I talk about Nicole. I talk about um, where it all went wrong, you know, with the bullying and, and where they hurt her so much. And then I talk about the devastating effects of suicide. And at the end, then I talk about um, what Coco's Law is. And, and they are curious, you know, you get you get some some students, some young students that think like, well, we're under 18 and nothing can happen. Like, you know, can anything happen to under 18? Yes, of course. Um, you can still be prosecuted whether you're under 18 or not and um, you know so it's it, it's things like that or it's just educating the, the people to know that um what 
what they would think is harmful slagging, you know, or, or we're just having a laugh, we're just having the fun to, to, to make them realize is it's not always fun for, for everyone else that you're slagging. You know, nobody, not one person knows exactly what's going on inside someone else's head. Um, and just because a student or a, a worker would go in, you know, get bullied, get torn down, get ripped apart. And just because they go into school or work the next day with a smile on their face, thinking, you know, this doesn't bother me. It does bother them. You know, so it's educating people that you don't know what's going on inside their head. Know when to stop. Know, you know, know when, when you're crossing that line from fun into, into to harm, you know. You know, education is, is, is the key and talking, you know, people, you know, we always say to the students or to the parents, talk. You know, talking this so don't let things but you know build up and get so deep into your head. Talking is so important. And that's why me and Gary um, you know, go around to, to the schools. I, I could have stopped um after you know I got I got the law or got Nicole's legacy. I could have stopped, but it's so important to to educate, as I said, students or parents or teachers. And um, I had um I had a, a talk in Kerry there for in front of a whole load of um, Garda and sergeants, and you know, you know, they need they they needed to be educated as well on what on what Coco's law is. You know, do you know it's 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 what do you know how I know it works? And um, Jess, for for me, is the response that I get from for after after the, the school talks or the, the the company talks it's the messages that I get saying that you know you've saved my life or you've you, you've made me open my eyes from from vulnerable people saying and 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 us myself and Gary showing them where to get help and how to get help or they'd messages saying and um, thank you that they didn't realize the damage that you were doing to to people by bullying and stuff so the messages that we get and um, you know, it makes it as hard as, as our talks are and the messages and the response that we get, you know, makes it so much uh, worthwhile in in going in to talk to people, you know. Yeah, that was Jackie Fox speaking incredibly passionately, as you heard about the work she continues to do when it comes to online bullying and abuse. Uh, if you've been impacted by anything mentioned in this piece or you just need to talk, you can do so at any stage. The Samaritans are on 116123 or you can text 087 uh, there's also a brilliant website called hotline.ie, which is a fantastic resource and fountain of information on this topic, particularly intimate image abuse. Um, for those who don't know, and as we heard Jackie just say there a second ago, education is key here. So I'm going to do my best to explain a little bit about this, right? So the Harassment, Harmful Communications and Related Offences Act 2020, aka COCO's Law, has provisions for two offences dealing with the non-consensual distribution of intimate images. So the first offence deals with the distribution or publication or threat to distribute or publish intimate images without consent with the intent to cause harm to the victim. And the maximum penalty there is an unlimited fine and or seven years imprisonment. And then the second offence deals with the taking, distribution or publication of intimate images without consent, even if there's no expressed or specific intent to cause harm to the victim. It carries a maximum penalty of €5,000 and or uh, 12 months imprisonment. Um... So there has been a lot of work in this space. I think there's a lot more to do. And as Jackie said there, you know, education is key. Awareness is key. Soundness is key. Um, And I just think the work that Jackie is continuing to do is incredible. 
And as I said, if you've been impacted or you think you might be impacted or you're worried about something, uh, reach out to somebody, um, whether that is an organisation that can offer you help. As I mentioned there, the Samaritans uh, on 116123 hotline, if you just want a bit of advice, the Gardaí are there. There are plenty of organisations there to help and support. So do reach out uh, if you need help or guidance relating to anything to do with this topic. Um, But yeah, thank you so much to Jackie uh, for taking the time to talk to me because it's not obviously an easy subject for her to talk through but the fact that she perseveres shows that she does want to continue to make an impact in Nicole's memory and it is abundantly clear that uh, that is absolutely happening. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we'll get an update on the National Broadband Plan. Tech Talk on News Talk with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertus.ie forward slash VMware. Yeah, this is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk Tech Talk at Newstalk.com as ever if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess Kelly NT. Earlier in the week, I reviewed the Google Pixel 6a on the Pat Kenny show. It's a device that costs less than 500 quid uh, and it's incredible. Like that's the summary. You can go listen to the full review if you want on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. Just search for technology on the Pat Kenny show. But the upshot is if you want a device with an excellent camera, a lovely screen and a very cool design, but don't want to spend a thousand euro, if not more, um, you would be hard pressed to find something better than the uh, 6A. I was a huge fan of the Google 4A. I recommended it for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages um, and I'm delighted now that the 6A is kind of taking up that mantle as an excellent phone for less than 500 euro. Uh, as I said, you can listen back to that full review if you so wish. Uh, over the coming weeks on the Pack Kenny Show, we're going to have news from Samsung about their new flagship devices. Uh, we're going to also review one of their more basic phones. It's the A53 5G. But it could be a good suggestion or solution for someone who's looking either for a first phone or a device for school or college. That review will be coming up over the coming weeks. Now, way back in August 2012, then Minister for Communications Pat Rabbit spoke with Chris Donoghue here on News Talk to unveil the latest vision and plan to improve Ireland's connectivity. We have to improve our all-round broadband connectivity because uh, we have to admit that there are parts of the country where strengths are inadequate. You know, in terms of the need to attract investment, create jobs, entertainment for, you know, people's uh, everyday living. Uh, the capacity is there in the new broadband uh, to improve people's job prospects and their living environment. And and Pat, to date, some of the private providers actually provide excellent speed broadband in the built-up areas. But we, we had one listener in Baileyborough in County Cavan today. She's trying to run a business and she can get a better reception on the mobile phone, a better strength than she can with broadband. Yeah, there is no doubt that, uh, as I've just admitted, uh, there are difficulties in parts of the country, and I'm determined to deal with that. Now, over the next uh, over the next year and a half or so, there will be some improvements for that kind of uh, customer. But I'm interested in a more significant uh, leap forward, and that's what the plan is based on. The plan is based on acknowledging that we are going to bring about 50% of the population to uh, having uh, enjoying between 70 and 100 megabits by 2015. 
but it's the remaining 50% uh, that we're seeking to concentrate on. The plan is based on the duration of the lifetime of this government. That was former Minister Pat Rabbit uh, talking about the National Broadband Plan back in August 2012. Ten years on, has your connectivity improved? Um, If you go and do a little speed test for me there, let me know what speeds you're getting, where in the country you are. And if you're within the intervention area, um, head on over to mbi.ie, pop in your air code and let me know when you are expecting to potentially, hopefully, fingers crossed, be connected under the National Broadband Plan. I was out with MBI earlier this year to see what goes into the rollout because I'm one of those people who was banging the table for a long time saying, you know, we need this now, we need this now. And that trip that I took with them kind of gave greater insight into the process that goes in before a single uh, piece of dirt is moved on the road. There's a huge amount of planning and so on. Um, So I can appreciate how long it you know how we are where we are now I suppose in terms of connections but I also understand the real life impact of not having high speed connections Um, and I would love to hear your story Uh, are you being impacted how are you being impacted and what would you like to see happen Uh, you can email me at anystagetechtalk at newstalk.com as I'd mentioned earlier in the show I was in Galway last week and when I was there I met with Andrea Manning who runs a business called CyberPie it's essentially a cyber security training and information business and uh, she was telling me about her connectivity and the impact it's having on her business the work is all on Zoom You know, I'm constantly speaking, doing events, doing training. I do sort of these handheld audits through a Zoom screen where I take people through all their security and say, right, let's look at your settings on here, here, here. And with bad internet, and I have poor internet where I live, I can't do it. So I always have to make a point of coming into town to get good internet if I've got something important on. And with cost of petrol now, that's not ideal either. So I moved three kilometres up the road. I had fibre. It was brilliant. Moved three kilometres up the road into a cottage. And because it's a cottage on another property, it doesn't have its own postcode. If you don't have a postcode, you can't get internet to the property. And so I've had to apply for a postcode. So you go through on past, you then get sent on to air code. And I think we're talking about six months. And then I still have to apply to get fibre to the property. So, yeah, it's it's a minefield as soon as you leave the metropolis. <laughs> Even just on a simple level, just the cost of having to come into town every time I need mm. good internet, you know, the cost of petrol, parking, etc. So it is huge. And because I had it, when you have something, you just think it's just normal. Yeah. And as soon as it's taken away from you, you realise what the rest of the world has been going through, or the rest of the country. The more people I speak to now, the more I'm realising that I'm not the only person. And you do, you have these ridiculous conversations going, you know, and you're all robotic and breaking up. And I'm like, this is reminds me of the AOL dial-up days. I was on with Pat on Friday and we were talking through the progress of the National Broadband Plan. So as it stands in, where are we, August 2022, there are 19,000 um, premises that have been signed up, 16,000 of which are connected. Uh, they also are expecting um, these rates to kind of increase, obviously, over time. Uh, There are 300,000, more than 300,000 premises surveyed. And the survey bit is what takes a hell of a lot of time. They literally have to go out, take photographs of ducts and of poles. And if there's anything wrong with the duct or the pole, then it has to get fixed. Then they have to map it out. And so there's the 
from NBI, from whoever was going to win this contract and roll out this plan, there was going to be a huge amount of legwork done uh, before cable is laid. Um, But as I said, I'm just very, very conscious of the impact this is having on individuals and businesses right around the country. Uh, So the email address, again, to get in touch with me is techtalk at newstalk.com. Do a speed test, head over to NBI, find out when you are due to get it and let me know. Now, we are going to turn back to the world of recruitment. Uh, There's a lot of movement at the moment. A lot of people are on the hunt for a job. Maybe they're moving for the first time. Maybe they're moving again post-pandemic. Earlier in the show, we heard from Richard Redette, who was talking through how you can build a brilliant first impression, whether that is in a pre-screen, in your LinkedIn, in your CV. But what about those who've never built a CV before? Well, Jen Spears is the Executive Creative Director at Droga5 Dublin and uh, that is a subsister, I suppose, of Accenture. And they have recently carried out a digital divide report and found that 18 to 24-year-olds really could do with a hand when it comes to digital literacy and building a CV. And Jen is with me now. Uh, Jen, you're very welcome to Tech Talk. Tell me a little bit more about this digital divide report. Absolutely. Thanks, Jess. So the Digital Divide Report gives us a real status overview of where Ireland is in, with the digital skills. And what we found in the report was that particularly like one third of younger, younger people within Ireland are actually lacking the basic digital skills that was going to give them the, make them be able to do things like create CVs and actually make them readily able to get jobs within an increasingly digital world. And actually, they're also over-indexing in the lower socioeconomic groups. So when we found that as the, you know, the creative agency, we thought like what's a, we, we need to sort of almost help build a tool to be able to fix this. And I guess that's where we sort of came into the idea of, of creating GAP, which is, a, you know, a WhatsApp-based chatbot to help the digitally advantaged, disadvantaged get access to the digital skills that they need. Yeah, there's a perception that our young people are incredibly savvy when it comes to technology. But am I right in saying that there's a distinction between sort of tech savvy in terms of like knowing how to unlock a phone and take a photograph and then digital literacy? So it is actually, you would think that the 18 to 24 year um, year olds are, are digitally savvy because, I mean, I don't know if I've got nieces who are in that age group and they're just constantly like face in phone and, and, and all over things like social media and, you know, the platforms. But I guess when it comes to things like actually having digital skills to be able to create documents, for example, CVs, we found that they they actually didn't have the basic skills that were that they were able to do that. So where they were comfortable is obviously in the in the social media platforms, including WhatsApp. They're really over-indexed with their familiarity with WhatsApp, but also with influencers and, and following uh, content creators through social media. So that's what they're doing online, but that's not actually arming them to be able to readily able to get jobs when they hit that job market. Yeah, and I assume this is where Gap comes in. Tell me a little bit about it. Great. So Gap, it's actually, it's a WhatsApp-based chatbot. And what it's designed to do is help those digitally disadvantaged get access to the digital skills that they need. And we're talking like basic digital skills. So things like even writing an email or, you know, search things on internet basics or word processing or Excel. 
I mean, you, it also has skills in there, lessons in there for slightly more advanced. So depending on where your level is at, you can look at things like learning things about AI or blockchain, but it's all based and housed within WhatsApp. And we've created video content. So smaller, you know, bite-sized little lessons that help upskill or reskill in those digital areas. So kind of around three minutes or, or thereabouts. Because again, we know with these 18 to 24 year olds, they also, they over-index in, in, in consuming video content. So what we wanted to do was A, go to the, the platform that they're really, really comfortable in, and that is WhatsApp, and completely house the whole process within that platform. But then also make sure that we're, we're creating it and designing the learning program in a way that's going to be really comfortable for them. Because we also know that there's a kind of a certain degree of apathy around um, the needing to upskill or even wanting to upskill or recognising that digital skills are something that they need. So, you know, it wasn't for us to go in there and make the, the learning really, really difficult. If we had have done that, we would have obviously fallen down. Who is the target for this? Is it those in their late teens and early 20s staring at a blank piece of paper? Or do you need to have some sort of a skeleton CV and have something to work with? It's absolutely aimed at the at the the people who are looking at that blank bit of paper and, and not being quite sure even where to start. So not being able to create documents, including something as you know necessary as a CV, that's where we we, we launched the campaign. We, we really hyper-targeted these sort of 18 to 24-year-olds, particularly those from, like again, like socio, lower socioeconomic backgrounds, and just tried to, to, to give them the the ways to be able to start from scratch, create a CV on your phone, so watch the short tutorials directly in WhatsApp and then build up from there. So where else do you want to upskill once you've done that? Because, I mean, to be honest, not being able to create a CV is it's actually really worrying for me because these are the people who are going to really get left behind in the job market. You know, if you can't create a CV, it means that you're not able to even put yourself in the running for certain positions. Like that's how you get your foot in the door. So how are you going to get yourself included? And I guess for us, such a, such a large number of young people not being able to do that, we really wanted to sort of hone in on those on the, the, the very first and basic skills of creating the CV on your phone and, and building it up from there. Where can people get more information or indeed use the service? So if you search um, Accenture Gap or there is, you can actually just engage with it um, by WhatsApping hey or hi to a number, which is 01230 And, you know, that'll that'll kickstart the whole um your whole experience with it. I mean, again, because we were going out to 18 to 24-year-olds who, you know, we wanted to go out and have the even the call to action and the response mechanism kind of in their language, in their world. So it was all QR-based and we had an, an out-of-home campaign, particularly in those areas where we are targeting those lower socioeconomic um, backgrounds. And the response was all QR codes because we know that that's how the, the, that's how that age group or that cohort is, is really comfortable with responding. And I think the other thing that we, we did with that particular age group, you know, we also know that they're really, really into the world of influencers and content creators. And so for Accenture to come out and engage people in you need to upskill, like we would have been a little rejected. So um, we, we actually used influencers because they're such gatekeepers to this demographic. So 
we chose influencers, you know, through research and everything that we knew were going to resonate really well with the people that we were targeting and actually got them to help engage the, the audience with um, through the WhatsApp um, message and through shared content on their own channels as well. And, you know, we selected specific groups, specific people from different hobbies, from comedy, entertainment, fashion, music and sports, because again, we you know for this to land and for it to land successfully, we we had to we had to go and use the people who were already engaged with the audience. Great stuff. That is Jen Spears, executive creative director at Drug of Five Dublin. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. And that is all we have time for this week. John Fardy's going to be along here on News Talk in just a few minutes with screen time. But I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday morning's News Talk Breakfast. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.